Welcome to the Cincy Postcast and happy Thanksgiving. I am your host, Kevin Wallace, and we have a gigantic episode for you this holiday. It is a big one. In part one, it is all mailbag. We asked for your questions and we tried to answer as many as we could. Hopefully this gets you through the drive to wherever you're off to this holiday, or maybe you put it on in the kitchen to distract you from the fact that you're burning that turkey. Look, this was really fun to record. It's a mostly not soccer. Some of it's soccer. We kind of bounce around a little bit. So enjoy this one. Have fun with it. And then in part two, we finally get down to brass tacks. We talk about Noonan winning coach of the year. We preview and predict the Philadelphia Union match this weekend. You put that all together. You have a gigantic episode and all of that will be your very Thanksgiving postcast. Joining me to talk about all of that and more, I'm joined by two gentlemen who are on the eve of Thanksgiving. Chief Grayson, I've got both of them here. And Chief, I, I just got to ask you, you know, night before, how we feel on Thanksgiving wise. I know we touched on this last episode, but are, are you going to struggle through this? Uh, just, I, I don't like Thanksgiving. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like this holiday. I don't like the food. I just, it's bottom tier of things I want to eat and the amount of food. It's, it would be one thing if it was bad food, but there's an expectation you should eat a lot of it, which is not fun as well. And also it's just, this is, I, I sit here and I reflect on the fact that as I am firmly in my middle age, that this used to be the night when I was mm. out at the bars until two in the morning waking up the next day profoundly hungover to go to my family's house for uh for food and instead i sit here finding myself recording a podcast with you two fine gentlemen <laughs> while i can hear the partying noises from up at the bar down the road so this is just it. life comes at you fast i guess <laughs> <laughs> i will say that night before thanksgiving as a bartender is probably the number one night uh because it's the one you don't mind missing that much and it's pretty easy to arrange your friends to come to like your bar that you're bartending new year's eve is usually the big big night but then you kind of like miss this spectacle because you're working whereas like the, the night before thanksgiving you're not really missing that much and being the bartender is as much a part of the event as otherwise the uh, um the, yeah the, the pandemic kind of the pandemic kind of killed this but i used to have a tradition um in the before time that on this night uh myself and all of our my friends we would get together at my house and then we would go out to the bars later afterwards but the point of getting together at my house was that we had a a kind of it was before the term was in vogue but a friends giving mm. but the concept of the friends giving was that no one was allowed to bring food that they made themselves so you had to go <laughs> and you had to bring and the preference was for something that you acquired through a drive through or from a fast food restaurant so myself Ooh. and like 15 20 friends would descend on my house and some people would bring like a crave case of white castle the one year i ran up to the double dragon in norwood and bought like 30 dollars, 40 dollars worth of pork fried wontons 
and just had that on the spread. <laughs> the uh, the chili craze, the uh, Taco Bell taco crate. Um, my sister came to the party one year and brought an entire tray of Cheddar Bay biscuits from Red Lobster that she'd picked up. Nice. So, my wife hated this party because she was like, <laughs> it's the grossest shit. Like fast food is objectively awful. And then what really, really offended her deeply was that we'd all go out to the bars and then I would come home like four or five hours later, six hours later, and then immediately tear back into the leftover fast food. <laughs> I I feel like you have to invest in heat lamps at that point, because I'm imagining the table a la Trump hosting the Clemson football team. Uh, and it feels like 20 minutes after that food sits on the table, it goes cold and it's, you know, the, the appealing level of this food falls off a cliff. How, the, how did you manage this? It's a lot of beer and a lack of shame to Fair be enough. honest with you <laughs> my buddy justin one year brought an entire case of chicken and waffle sliders from white castle that had it was two waffles like little mini waffles with like a breaded piece of fried chicken and then waffle house brand gravy that was like on the sandwich wow. as well they were delightful like they were <laughs> it was incredible um my wife has put the kibosh on this party ever returning but it was a uh, it was a staple of the household uh in the years past for this wednesday before thanksgiving man i I got to say, I'm jealous. I've always wanted to do something like that. And to hear that somebody lived my dream is, you know, <laughs> makes me feel feel things. Um, Maybe we'll Grace. bring it back. Maybe we'll bring it back sometime. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Grayson, uh, I don't know. Any any great Thanksgiving traditions in, in your part of the world there? No, I don't think anything no. in particular. But I will say, like, I'm not a huge. I don't love the night before Thanksgiving. Mm. night at the bar but like some of the bars around me will open up thanksgiving evening mm. around like 8 p.m and i think that's like a very nice chill time to go yeah it is nice everybody everybody at the bar then gets it is it you're very lonely or they're very tired of their relatives and that's a good group of yeah. people to have in the same room. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what I'm looking forward to most on Thanksgiving is that um, due to schedule conflicts this year, I have one family Thanksgiving on Thursday, one family Thanksgiving on Friday. And the Thursday one is an early afternoon Thanksgiving. And then as soon as that's done, I am returning back to my humble abode and I'm walking around the corner to the neighborhood bar. And I'm posting up there for a couple hours, and I'm going to be completely okay with that. Uh, well, Chief might slap me the next time he sees me, uh, but I, I love Thanksgiving. And this year, uh, I'm hoping to make this a regular tradition. We're like two years in now. I'm cooking everything, and I, I live for this shit. So this is this is great. So bring it on. Smoking a turkey. Don't which, agree. I got to say, smoked turkey, pretty nice. It's a pretty nice way to do it. Do these like Japanese milk biscuits that are pretty freaking good. Uh, the thing for me is I would not want to do this meal another time of year because this is a lot of effort. This is a lot of pre-planning and a lot of effort, but I like the meal that I produce. But if then it's my own cooking, so it'd be weird if I didn't like it. So I have been, um, I guess like, so I'm going out of town for Thanksgiving just because there's been um, enough noise in my life lately. And I just 
wanted to have some time for just for just me and my wife and um we've ordered like a whole spread from whole foods <laughs> nice. like where where we're going and we're just gonna leave the airport pick it up and then just have like a chill rest of the thursday i like that because there's no work involved um one year on thanksgiving i was in valparaiso chile and um had a nice like uh you know seafood and shellfish platter uh sitting on like some sitting on a restaurant that's on a cliff overlooking the water man uh, that was a pretty good change of pace thanksgiving meal the exotic thanksgiving's the way to go did anybody at the restaurant have any inkling to the american thanksgiving that was that day no good <laughs> that sounds cool that sounds glorious honestly that sounds incredible oh man I've uh I've been on a cruise ship during Thanksgiving, so I don't know. That's as close as I can get to there, Grayson. The, the worst <laughs> the worst Thanksgiving I ever had. Well, not worst Thanksgiving. That's that's way too broad of a statement. Because it was actually a nice Thanksgiving holiday. But um the worst Thanksgiving meal I ever had was kind of like was down in Florida with my wife's family and there was like an extended connection mm. that lives down there and invited us to uh have the Thanksgiving meal at their uh local at their country club and it was like the the the, the entire atmosphere it was like the worst vibes <laughs> you could ever experience like it was so like quiet and boring and the food was like pretty bland and soggy um would not recommend the country club thanksgiving buffet now see you say that my my very very good friend he and his father so his mother's been divorced like twice, but his biological father, like he would occasionally go out and do Thanksgiving with him. And the one year his father flew everyone out to Vegas and they did Thanksgiving dinner at the Cosmopolitan's buffet or no, the Caesars Palace buffet. And I'm like, you know what? This sounds like a perfect Thanksgiving. Everybody gets what they want and you can all drown your sorrows at the slot machines or on the craps table immediately afterwards instead of having awkward forced conversations with extended family or having to watch the Detroit Lions on television. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, there you go. I mean, presumably, at least some people will be listening to this episode on Thanksgiving. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you're having a, <laughs> a great time with that. Or maybe you're you're traveling on your way to wherever your final destination is. Or maybe you just told everybody you got to, like, go walk the dog or something. You're just getting, getting some time around the block. You needed to put something on uh, whatever way. Uh, I'll say if there is somebody out there that is listening to us on Thanksgiving, hey, thanks for making us a part of your Thanksgiving there. Um, <clears throat> for this episode, we obviously have a massive playoff match this weekend to, to preview, which we will get to. However, uh, if there is one thing I am thankful for this Thanksgiving, it is the fact that people are out there in the world listening to this podcast that we put together. We put 
believe it or not, there's some degree of effort that goes into this. And I am always happy when people are able to uh, to listen to this and, and actually go as far as to say that they enjoy it. So uh, with that, <clears throat> we put the word out on Sunday for questions for uh, the the podcast this week. And this is going to be a 90%, 80% a mailbag episode. We'll see how quickly we get through some of these. Quite a few questions came in via Discord, via Twitter, via Facebook. Man, we've got we got a couple of good ones that came in via Facebook. I did make a post on Facebook. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> really, what happened was this morning during breakfast, I made a graphic and thought I worked way too hard on this to only post this on Twitter, and so it ended up on Facebook as well. Uh, but we've got some good good questions here. I am going to run through. Uh, some of these here. Um, I'll bounce around a little bit on where the questions were asked. However, I will start with a couple from the Discord, which, hey, if you're not a member of the Discord, get on there. That's where all of our conversations are happening. Uh, but I will ask you this one from Mike K. I'll go to you, Grayson, first. Uh, what is each of our top five lists of guests we'd love to have on the pod? So we each have to say five. That's what I'm taking. We could make a collective five, but eh, let's let's run um, through our five. Harks. Yep. Harks uh, is definitely Ka on my list. Harks, Koch. Um, uh, uh, Harks, Koch. Uh, Don Garber. Ooh. <laughs> um, Yans. It's a tough it's a tough question. And um I like these answers though. And five. Um uh, let's go uh Rose Lavelle. Ooh, okay. Ooh, all right. There's a name I thought you were going to say that you didn't. Let's see if Chief hits a go. Uh, John Harks is obviously on that list. I think yeah. that's 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 number one. Alan Koch, I would really like yeah. to hear a little bit about the Alan Koch regime and how that went. Uh, Ron Jans, I would <laughs> very much like to ask him what song he was singing that got all this in trouble. <laughs> um, Shauna Coley. I think Ooh. that would be interesting just because he was sort of the first face of FC Cincinnati. Yeah. I would want to say out of everything that was there. And uh, I'm going to go left field and say the guy in the Gary suit. I would just Ooh. really like to know what it is that the gear, what, what, what's the strangest thing you've seen? What's the oddest picture you've posed for? Um, are you in fact a furry? I don't know. <laughs> I would just be curious as to the answer to all these questions. Yeah. Clearly this person was the, college mascot at wherever they went to school or the high school mascot of wherever they went to school. Um, I, I will put out a very specific request. I, I know for a fact that there was a Gary 
uh, as in somebody dressed up as Gary, that went to a re like a, a small township, uh, like a township day of some kind. I have no clue where this township was, um, but they had like fire trucks out there, and it was like a big community event. And this Gary was apparently in absolute terror and like messed everything up. And this person was fired, and that township told FCC they were never allowed to bring their mascot or their team to that event ever again. I want that Gary. <laughs> I want to know what's chaos, happening. Chaos Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more about that. If anybody has any more insight as to that story, I would love to hear from you. Um, I'll say my five uh, names I thought you two would mention, uh, but did not. Uh, Pablo Maurer uh, is going to be on that list. I'll also throw, oh, wow, the little thumbs button, or the thumbs up came up when I did that. Uh, number two, let's see if the finger guns come up with number two. Uh, Andrew Wee. I got to ask him about lens distortion. Are you kidding me? Um, Number three, uh, Guido, is it Guido Gonzalez Jr.? I need, oh yeah, I just want, I want to talk to a referee, but Guido in particular feels like the kind of guy that like he had, he had that rough outing. I want to know what goes through a referee's mind and like, I think he's done pretty well since then. He had one bad game with us not too, too long ago. Um, I mean, all the names you guys mentioned, obviously. I'll throw in there Eric Winalda, I think would be a fantastic mm-hmm. get, and Jeff Cameron. Um, maybe we need oh, a little bit yeah. more time, but he would be he'd be a really good one. I mean, if you really want to get into names, yeah. If you, if you want to get into names where it's like, yeah, let's reach the source, I would love to interview Don Garber. I think that that would be yeah absolutely fascinating i think my first question would be are you hiring because you desperately need better content that's being provided at a league level um (laughs) i would love to interview jürgen klinsman i think that would be unbelievable in terms of just sort of getting a picture of where u.s soccer was and i guess the, the the conceit to all this is i i would want them in a situation where they would actually give real answers to things which sometimes would be difficult Mm -hmm. but Man, Jeff Cameron would be a good shout. That would be really, really entertaining, I think. He feels possible as well. So there we go. Uh, This next one, uh, Grayson, I'll have you read this one to us. How about that? What's your most beloved FCC experience? This is from, are we saying who it's from? I don't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is from Nate J. Nate Uh, J. My most most beloved experience. FCC experience. Um, gotta say, and I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to say this, holding the supporter shield. Hey, it's a good experience. <laughs> I think at this point, the people who are going to hold the shield are most likely to have held the shield. So I think we're we're safe to say that we we did get that opportunity. I guess uh, I guess holding the supporters shield in a very specific spot um, (laughs) would probably be mine. (laughs) That would be number one far and away. And uh, I guess specific spot like the uh, like the back of a Volkswagen. (laughs) (laughs) Someplace people dread. Um, uh, If it's not if I can't say that one because we're keeping things kayfabe. uh, there's so many good ones. Just that that first march in 
to mm. Nippert for the first MLS match and turning around and just seeing the sea of humanity that stretched all the way back onto short vine. That was cool. Um, the Chicago fire penalty kicks, Mitch saving that last kick and just the pure euphoria yeah. that happened afterwards. That was pretty cool. I don't know. Um, there's just been so many, like I've been, I've been thinking about a lot of this stuff lately. Uh, and just the, the absurdity of how some of the stuff went down in FC Cincinnati and some of the cool, odd, strange things we've all been a part of that have been a part of the supporters culture for a really long time. Like the first uh, back in 2016, workshopping the first versions of Cincinnati, Here We Go, and trying to come <laughs> up with 80s songs that you could sing words to and eventually settling on the theme to Reading Rainbow for a yellow card song. <laughs> that was that was kind of keen. I don't know. Kevin, where, where are you at on this one? We've been Kevin and I have had a lot of the same memories in this space. We've occupied a lot of the same same time. We've overlapped significantly in the circles we've run in FC Cincinnati fandom. It's true. Um, I mean, the the first Columbus Open Cup game, the GB header, that that's usually where my mind and my heart goes to first. Like the first time we beat an MLS team, and of course it was Columbus, and of course we'll always hold the first meeting, and the fact that we were the lower division team, like that moment made me feel like, man, we could, we could absolutely do it. Uh, I will give a special, uh, I guess, shout out to two moments in particular where they're probably the highest highs I ever felt, but like on the night, they never mattered. Uh, Austin Berry scoring against New York Red Bulls in the Open Cup semifinal in the, what, 65th minute, uh, taking a 2-0 lead. Hard to top the feeling that we were feeling right then and there. Uh, the other one was uh, Leo Bertone's goal going in against uh, Seattle and the MLS uh, league opener there. Uh, all of us at like nine or 10 o'clock at night at Molly Malone's in the second floor. Um, I stam like stamped and stomped my foot so hard. I thought I was going to break my own leg. I was so excited by that goal. I thought like, the team of destiny. We're never going to lose again. <laughs> this is it. And uh, eh, that didn't quite pan out that way. Um, yeah. And the support. On, on, like, on, on, on a less serious note, um, I also want to give a special shout out to the moment Opie made his first appearance in the Bailey. <laughs> Just from the pure absurdity of the fact that <laughs> that happened. <laughs> yes. Or, like, there's a special place in my heart for things like that, where soccer has allowed us to get into some absolutely absurd levels of mischief that probably shouldn't be possible in the American sports landscape, like sneaking an unauthorized mascot into a stadium or when we were in Louisville and, you know, Max carrying a bunch of car batteries and fans disguised as drums to have some wacky waving inflatable armed tube men that we deployed when we scored goals there. That was a lot of fun. That is a story um, more people need to know about. Yes. In a game against Louisville in the USL days, uh, the FC Cincinnati supporters smuggled in to the stadium via the bass drums, car batteries, and two large wacky waving inflatable arm tube men 
into the stadium, hooked up the batteries, hooked up blowers, and got the tube men to go in the away section and uh, did it in front of not only stadium security, of course, but also to come down to look at it was the club president of Louisville at the time. It's just the most absurd thing. And they're on the broadcast and everything. And like the, the announcers don't acknowledge the fact that these two men exist. <laughs> it's the strangest thing in the world. And um, yeah, man, like that's that's some good mischief right there. <laughs> it's going to reach a point at some point where I'm going to feel really sorry for the people that never actually experienced the USL days. Like if you weren't around for yeah. those, I really will think you've missed a serious part of your FC Cincinnati fandom. Yeah. Oh, completely, completely agree. That's not to say that you're less of a fan, right? No, not it's at all. Because, you well, know, we all come to it. We all come to it in our own way. Just kidding. But in our own time. But yeah, I mean, there are. You're ne- there are USL experiences that will never happen again. Yeah. No. Like in the Open Cup, the uh, we're playing AFC Cleveland in the Open Cup, and some guy comes to Ladder 19, and he's the one AFC Cleveland fan. And he's talking there that he's the only person that travels, and that you'll definitely hear him in the stadium because he yells so loud he's broken megaphones before. And like <laughs> saying this all with a completely straight face as we all like sip on beers, like, yeah, man. Sounds cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right. Moving on to the uh, to the next question here. Um, This one is from Redbeard in the discord. If a fourth DP happens this offseason, should we use it to keep Bariel or Vasquez or bring in someone entirely new? Grayson, I'll go to you first. Fourth DP spot opens. Are you trying to keep? Bariel and Vasquez, or Vasquez, or neither. No, I like I. I think still, um, if there's opportunities for them to move, let them do that. Get your transfer fee. Uh, use that gam elsewhere on the roster, mm-hmm. and then use your fourth DP spot. Um. Well, I think it needs to once again be on the spine. Um, whether you want to have a second DP striker mm. next to Bupenza, if you want a DP uh, holding midfielder to make your three-man midfield an entire uh, designated midfield, um, or what I think is probably the best spot for a fourth DP, mm-hmm. um, another another center back. Interesting. I just I would I do it so like okay so the, the, this question does it presuppose that one of them would be willing to sign as a DP and that we're we that if the DP spot is available they would make the determination that I want to stay in MLS it's a money thing I don't want to go to Europe I think, I'm, it, I'm pre- I think it presupposes that it's yeah. okay if you can you sign them as a DP or let them go and sign somebody else as a DP those are the two options then yeah. I would for Bariel. I would not for Vasquez because tactically speaking, so much of what this team does is that Lucho is freed by this offense. And there was a great interview that Noonan gave on a podcast a couple weeks ago or a week ago where he said that the toughest thing for him coaching this team was learning from Lucho 
and adjusting what his wants and what his needs and what his tactical decisions were to what Lucho is able to do and giving Lucho freedom to play his game. And so much of what makes Lucho a dynamic player is when he drifts one way or the other on the field and sets up interplays between himself and Barrial or himself and Arias, but it's mostly Barrial. And so I think, and I'm worried going forward, actually, that unless they get a strong replacement for Barrial, it's going to actually make Lucho less effective because he won't have those partner that partner on the outside to switch positions with. Because sometimes Barrial will drift inside as Lucho goes outside and it, it can it gets the defense out of shape. This is what it does. So I I would on Barrial um, if that's not an option, then I would be looking to use the DP to actually fill Barrial's spot. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there's a good argument for Barrial, and especially when. <clears throat> so you think about this. Uh, his career aspirations. <clears throat> Sure, probably in Europe, but a lot of that, as as we've discussed uh, previously, is money-based. Players go where the most money is, and presumably if FCC could give him uh, you know, the most money of any team out there, he'd probably be happy with that. But let's say he's a romantic at heart as well and would like to make the Argentine national team uh, coming up for the Copa America, let's say, uh, next year. Staying in MLS has shown to be a viable path for Argentinian players to the national team and being settled at a club like FC Cincinnati may actually be better generally for those prospects than, uh, say, going to Europe and needing to break into a team this winter and then hope that he you know, finds a spot, gets, you know, good playing time in time for the summer and the Copa America. So I think there might actually be a solid argument for keeping Barrial, but it's going to come down to, you know, the the budget constraint of actually forcing us to move away from him, which would be a disappointment. Uh, Next question here, Chief, I've thrown it in the chat. I'll I'll give it to you. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, I love this. Who is the greatest rapper of all time? This comes to us from Damon G. I love this question, Damon. Um, this is probably in the last like two months, one of the go-to frequent fights that I have with my friends or the spates we have at the bar um, as somebody takes control of the touch tunes and the music starts to, to flow through. This is a really tough question. Uh, I tend to lean towards the greatest rapper of all time being Eminem. I would Mm. take so like my Mount Rushmore of rappers, and I know this is sometimes contentious, would be Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Nas and Jay-Z. Wow, Um, Snoop Dogg getting the nod on there. That's it's an upset. it, It is a little bit longevity of work, impact on the culture. Um Doggy style is just a phenomenal album. I get shit from my friends for not including Tupac and Biggie on there. Fine. <laughs> I, I would be okay if you wanted to rate one of them ahead of that. My super hot take is that the fifth slot on the Mount Rushmore is 50 Cent. And that 50 Cent is the most overlooked and slept on wow. rapper um, of uh, the past 25 years. And also with the caveat, too, that if you could have the Wu-Tang Clan as a rapper... <laughs> They would obviously be on there. But individually, really, the only one that's got a claim there is probably meth. 
maybe the genius from back in the day, but that's my take. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this subject. <laughs> clearly, clearly. For a, for a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> Grayson, would you like to, to nominate a, a name to throw into the ring here? No. <laughs> you know, that's kind of where I thought you'd go with this. So that tracks. <laughs> it's not that I it's not that I don't like it's not that I don't like rap music far from it. It's that I just I don't have the the arrogance to think that it's a topic that needs <laughs> needs me to 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 weigh in on. But, you know what? Fair enough. And with that said, I will weigh in on this. And uh, my answer is always a hipster answer. And uh, if people are somehow not familiar with this artist, you should remedy that. Uh, MF Doom is always my answer here. He is. That is such a you answer that in is this as space. as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I, I was holding out hope for a second that your answer was going to be DMX. And I was just gonna be like, hell yeah. <laughs> Did not see that coming for you, but I love it for you. So look, you know, maybe there's an argument, but X Gun Give It To You is such a good song that Xavier gets to then use that it's it's hard to give him any sort of props here. So <laughs> my number, I'm so rest in peace to Earl Simmons, but my greatest regret about DMX being no longer on this planet is that if Xavier were to ever win a national title, I was really hoping they would fly him in just to perform X come give it to you as the championship banner is raised. I mean, it would have been great. Would have electric. Maybe they can play it when they eventually make a Final Four. Uh, Facebook. Um, we go to Facebook here. Todd Sir. Carnes asks a question. I'm just going to move very Of course Todd this. was on Facebook. Of course. <laughs> we, did, we got no other uh, entries from Todd except for via Facebook. Uh, he said, when is the uh, SG, the supporter group charity boxing event, boxing event going to happen? What's the over under for how many signups to battle? Wallace and uh, I'm going to put the line at three and a half. I think three and a half people will sign up to punch me in the face. Chief, you going over or under three and a half people would want to punch me in the face. Over? Because the, the thing is, is if you would ask this question like three years ago, the answer, the over or under would have been at like 20. It really would have been. It would have been a debate. If we're talking, you know, tossing, hauling the, haul, uh, tossing the flag into the UC baseball stadium era, <laughs> Kevin Wallace, then the number would that have been there. Have we told that story on here about how Kevin was very, very upset at the idea that people were posting uh, branded sponsored content in the Bailey? He was a hard lad when it came to this. It's true. And there was someone that had brought a Rheingeist flag. But was it Ryan Geist, I think? So this was a Toyota flag. So what okay. happened is okay. this was the first March of the year in our second season, so 2017. And there is just a straight up Toyota flag. I think it was even red and white, like not even pretending to be FCC colors. And uh, this person had the Toyota flag. They're near the front of the March. And I was like, oh, my God, some dealership got a Ford or a Toyota flag into the March 
and they're going to try to get a bunch of photos and they're going to use this in an ad campaign. And I don't want our supporter space being co-opted like that. So I ran up to the person and I said, hey, man, who gave you that flag? And they said, oh, I don't know. Somebody just handed it to me. And I said, do you mind if I take it? And they said, no. And they handed it to me. So then I furled it. So twisted it around itself as we were walking down uh, by the UC football or baseball stadium. And I hurled it onto the, uh, the top of the dugout there, which is hard to then get at at that point. Uh, I was then immediately surrounded by like three or four people from DI who started screaming at me about how uh, people put a lot of work into that or something like that. And I uh, was in no mind to hear them out. So I kept screaming and yelling at them too, that that was stupid. Um, and that's how I got to meet DI. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was the same day I became a, uh, I, I got to publish my first uh, blog post for the Pride on the website. So off to a flying start with the supporters group relations. And um, yeah, it's been downhill ever since. So <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to go over for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, there you go. I would love to do that, though. I. I would really like to do a boxing event. I will say I'm, I've never, never done combat sports, but sign me up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'll ask this one again. Uh, it's from Pete W in the discord. Uh, go to you, Grayson. If you were Don Garber, what one change would you make to the league to make it better? Hmm. What one change would it make to the league to make it better? Um, I would I would limit VAR to a specific um time frame at game speed. Mm. Because if the if the if the standard is a clear and obvious error versus it being clearly and obviously wrong. I would suggest that a referee can't make an error if whatever it was was not visible or clearly and obviously visible at game speed from the vantage points of the referees. I like that. You know, that would that would dovetail well with a um, I know it was one change, but like if referees had to wear body cams and the footage they could review is only their own body cam. So it's like, yeah, they have to be well positioned in order to get a good replay angle, period. And which would be great, too, because then when they show later subsequent replays that made it obvious that the foul had been committed or not committed, then it's a it's an, a strike on the ref for not being in position to see it. Get better. Get good at your job. Yeah. Or, you know, there's some advantage to it, it brings back the dark arts of being able to, you know, commit a dirty foul away from the view of the referee. <laughs> I would if I was making a change to this league, um, it said just one. So I think that the obvious answer is that the salary structure in this league just needs to be simplified. And I think. The way I would do that is to go to a Major League Baseball style salary cap mm. where you put a number out there that is a soft cap and then anything you spend over that is subject to a luxury tax that is then distributed to teams around the league. I think that's probably the most fair way to do this sort of thing on the open market. 
and then figure out some way to compute transfers and make it easier to get transfers into the league. That's like the real answer. The uh, the fake answer that I think would be I would make a change is that they should have a different playoff format every year for MLS. <laughs> and they shouldn't announce the playoff format until decision day. <laughs> so that going into decision day, you have absolutely no idea if you're in the playoffs um what the format will be what you need to do to get into the playoffs and then it's just like a sealed envelope that's opened I the friday this. before decision day and it has the playoff format on it and then all of a sudden every team has to scramble to meet whatever the conditions are that get you into the playoffs man that's great or you could even go like if you win your conference you get to pick the format so maybe the East and West have different formats, right? So like we won the East, so we want best of three series the entire playoffs. But the West, oh, won by St. Louis, they don't they don't feel good about that. They want one-offs all the way through. Or maybe what you do is instead of the format that you have the top seven teams make the postseason. I mean, the real answer is to do what I talked about earlier and say, we're abolishing MLS Cup and we're just playing Leagues Cup at the end of the year. I like that a lot better. I like but that. if we're going to keep MLS Cup, you have the seven slots in the playoffs guaranteed for the top seven finishers. But the eighth spot is selected by and you don't know how that's selected until the end of the year and they pull an envelope and the envelope may say team not in the playoff that scores the most goals on decision day gets the eighth seed regardless <laughs> of what records are fewest fewest yellow cards makes fewest it. fewest fouls like you have to play the yes. cleanest game possible in order to do this i i love that all coming down to just absolute like chance basically on, on <laughs> final day you know it keeps everybody in it yeah. longer so every team could goal? possibly be in it yeah <laughs> oh god um let's see what would your if, rule change be mm, <clears throat> i like the salary tax i like to simplify the uh the money there you know it's funny you mentioned abolishing MLS Cup. I was I've been kicking around an article for a while now. I've started a draft of it. But I would do this. I would do a balanced schedule and best MLS can in that you play everybody in the league once and then you alternate every other year home and away. But that way at the end of the year, you've played, in our case, 28 other teams in this league once. And sure, that results in fewer games, but that would also mean fewer weekday weekday games, and it would get you around the international breaks a little better. And when you eventually go to 30 and 32, it expands nicely. And then the Supporter Shield well and truly becomes the number one trophy in the league. Now, now you actually have a proper balanced schedule. Yes, home and away is a big thing, but eh, it was never going to be yeah. perfect with MLS. I don't I'm know. into it. Right. That's about as good as you could probably get with something like that. Um, but yeah, I like all of those answers. Uh, Grayson, I will have you read the next one in the chat here. Should FCC's women's team join the NWSL, the USLW, uh, or wait for door C, Seth R.? Mm. Um. Now, by USLW, I think I think they were calling. I think they're going to call it the USL Super League. 
They are. I think the W is technically the second division in USL. The W is what USL currently has. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so taking that as the USL Super League, I guess I would say, I guess I would say USL Super League. Mm. Um, I like the idea of there being a competitor to NWSL, um, NWSL really needs like its feet held to the fire in a number of ways. I mean, you had, I guess, Gotham FC, which just won the NWSL Cup, um, had not made any plans <laughs> for how they were going to celebrate with fans winning the championship because it had not occurred to them that they might win the championship. How embarrassing. Um <laughs> It's also the same league too that bought its supporters shield trophy online for 50 bucks. Like that's <laughs> Yeah, and um and also um the NWSL just hasn't covered itself in glory in a whole host of ways. Right. In recent years and I I feel like the only way that there's going to be a consistently professionally run first division women's professional league in the United States that is worthy of the players in that league is if an actual threat to that league's uh, continued primacy uh, steps up. Yeah. And it's, and that, that threat is not going to come to Europe not going to come from Europe uh, as long as U.S. soccer continues to pressure the national team players to stay in NWSL. Yeah. On a scale of one to funny, how funny would it be if FC Cincinnati ownership calls up the USL again? It's like, hey, remember us? <laughs> so we were thinking you and i one last time let's do this again let's run it back there uh, is a there yeah. is a funny argument too for this idea that and i understand this exists solely in the mind of like pro rel truthers but this idea that mls will collapse like a house of cards and the usl will be the league that achieves achieves supremacy in american soccer when they adopt pro rel and do, does all that nonsense are they right that that's going to happen? No. no. Can you completely eliminate that as a possibility? Is and say it's a zero percent chance that they're that they're right? No. So you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe you've got your women's team in USL, so that if the MLS House of Cards does come down, you've got another team. Like, hey, maybe we'll just shift our men's team back to the USL, and we've got ourselves a. Uh, a way back in. No, and I'm gonna. I'll be different, and I'll say the NWSL here, just because it seems like they're a little more stable. They've got the TV deal they just signed that's greatly increasing the pool of money that they've been paid. Um, and it's not like anyone's really covered themselves in glory in any women's professional league to this point. You're just hoping that professionalism continues to increase mm -hmm. as more eyeballs are on it. So I would say I would rather have them in the NWSL, but I'm very cool if they want to wait just to see a little bit how this shakes out. And I feel like the end result, if of if the USL uh, Super League is successful, the end result is top USL Super League teams. It's a merger. 
going into NWSL or NWSL merging into USL Super League in some way. Yeah, right? yeah I, I agree. And that would be a significant because that's there's long term. There's not going to be two first division teams, two first division leagues operating at the same level. Yeah. Um, but, you know. If it ends up with, you know, the two leagues merging and we end up with one league that's like twice the size of NWSL, that feels like it's a pretty good thing for uh, women's soccer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my mind on this was both of yours that like, yeah, you, you want the pressure from the USLW, but NWSL's new TV deal makes them certainly look attractive from a financial standpoint. Uh, but I will say this, I have no idea how these contracts are set up or established. However, some of the better brands in NWSL are owned and attached to USL clubs, uh, Racing Louisville, uh, The Courage there, and I believe there's a Super League team joining in Tampa Bay, attached to the Rowdies. Um, there's another one I'm missing. Well, whatever. Um Point being, so, uh, especially the Courage and Louisville could certainly pick up their stakes and move to the USL Super League, and that would throw a lot of things off. And I don't know what happens to their TV deal if they suddenly lose teams there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, though. Uh, apparently, the Seattle Sounders are kicking around the idea of buying uh, the rain uh, up in Seattle, uh, the Portland timbers already own the portland thorns so it's funny to me that like mls never jumped in full on a women's league or even partnering more with nwsl uh in other parts of the world like in europe it's becoming more and more of a requirement to be a first division club you have to also sponsor a professional women's team or at least have a women's team competing in their uh country's league so Interesting that MLS never came up with a uh, similar requirement and didn't try to do a MLSW, right? Especially with the Apple deal. Feels like something they probably should have done at this point. But Speaking of the Timbers owning the Thorns, um, remember oh, yeah. that in December 2022, Merritt Paulson said that he would be selling the Portland Thorns. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, that never happened. <laughs> I guess they're just hoping everybody forgets. <laughs> yeah. Hope. Uh, maybe the Seattle Sounders will buy the Thorns. <laughs> God, that'd be great for that rivalry. <laughs> now that's what I'm actually rooting for. Uh, okay, we got a long one here. Uh, this came from Twitter from the Lights of Cincy. I could not associate a, uh, a name with this one. Commodification and objectification are big areas of focus in the sociology of sport, but I think it'd be interesting to hear from other fans about it. What are your perspectives on language and the commodification objectification of soccer players, i.e. buying players, selling players, trading players, particularly uh, in the more recent context of players around the world saying they're required to play too many games and are facing more injuries than ever um good question and i gotta say i always feel uncomfortable when talking about buying a player and selling a player i certainly use it because it's it's probably just 
easier to say that at this point. Uh, but I would not mind a uh, normalization of saying buying a player's contract or bu buying a player's rights, which is more what is actually happening there. Um, but yeah, especially like we haven't seen a, ho uh, a terribly high profile case of this happening in the U.S., at least not in a while or nothing that's coming to my mind. However, you, you hear about this a lot in Africa to Europe pipeline, uh, that there is like literal human trafficking of uh, especially young boys from African academies to European academies, or at least the promise of that. And then these people being sold into, uh, you know, terrible situations and, and human slavery uh, with that um, associated with like the world of soccer. So like, yeah, I'm good with getting away from it. I would just like and I'm sure there's guides out there. I would love just like a handbook of phrases, like instead of this, say this type thing. But I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on this. No, it's just it's I understand the idea of it being shorthand where you are actually buying a contract. Um, well, you're not really buying a contract in most cases because or you're buying the rights. You're buying you're the exclusive rights. rights. Or you're yeah. buying the, the exclusive right to deal with that player. Yeah, right. you're you're buying you're you're paying for them to then break the contract, and that's like the penalty for breaking the contract is I think right. how it goes so, out. Yeah. So and so it's not as it's not as gross as it sounds, just because the players all have the autonomy to say I'm not agreeing to personal terms with the new team, and then scuttling the deal, and then there are consequences that may be gross that arise out of that, like teams refusing to play players or what have you. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I understand it's one of those things where the cost of changing the language feels very little. And if it helps to remember that these people are humans as opposed to chits on a uh, or trading chips or whatever, <laughs> that you're dehumanizing them by reducing them to assets. I get that. But then at the uh, to a certain point, too, when you drop the actual words for what you're doing it's like is it any better that we say that they get drafted in the nfl when really that is also a form of you are buying the rights to or taking the rights to this player and it's been collectively bargained their freedom has been collectively bargained away by people that they never interacted with and by a vote that they never took because they weren't part of the bargaining unit when it happens i don't yeah. know yeah so I think that though if we if we talk about it in what it really is it does kind of upend a little bit how we talk about um labor and like the free choice of where you provide your labor because yeah like when you draft a player you can't make that player play for you but what you can do is you can prevent that player from playing for anybody else yeah right and that's still extremely coercive where you're like without this player's consent we have decided that he's not allowed to provide his skills in this field to anybody except for us and um that's not 
that's not that far removed from he has to play for us under terms we dictate. Like, yes, there's like a little bit of the player's choice. And then we're talking, let's talk about the US. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit of that player's choice that comes into that comes into it where, you know, he can choose to accept a contract the team will agree to, or he can go sell insurance. Right. But I but um, I guess but I guess the, the problem with it all though is that like this gets into a meta a meta question of like what is sports? And sports is an entertainment product at the end of the day in modern society. The value of sports is entirely derived <clears throat> not from determining who is the best or what team is the best, but how many people decide they want to watch that, buy a ticket, tune into it on their television. And so on a certain extent, yeah, you're robbing a player of agency and dictating terms of where they play. But the only reason the league has value and then the league has is able to produce the value that pays the players is because there is some form of competition involved that is equal, balanced, and the result is not known ahead of time. That, you know, that everything about this that restrains trade, whether it's financial fair play in theory, salary caps, trades, or um uh, drafts. It's all done under the guise of making sure that there is some form of competition that is meaningful. Otherwise, you would just have the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals. And that's entertaining as an exhibition. The kids may like it, but it's not entertaining and it's not going to sell eyeballs on television if there isn't any way to control the distribution of labor in this market. Because the the entire house of cards comes tumbling down if there is no if there isn't somewhat an equal distribution of labor sufficient for all of these teams to be fielded and to produce a competitive television product to sell to viewers. So there, there has been, I, I don't know that we're in a position to like determine how much of a value of a sport relates to parity. Cause there is research out there that suggests that, that people are attracted to and drawn to super teams. Um, and that that is something and that that can increase the value um, of a league. But um, I view a salary cap as different from a draft. So you could have a salary cap with no draft. And players coming out of college could, you know, shop their services to teams and field offers and then just go whatever team offers them the most money and there will be some rough, rough distribution of, it won't be so unequal because every team is constrained by the, by the salary cap. Yeah. Um, what it does, what it does significantly decrease the chances of is, uh, the Bengals getting <laughs> Joe Burrow. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you can, you'll get another quarterback. But that's where I, uh, I do think in that specific case, like what you just said there, like the college graduates or the, the you know, the, the guys leaving college or, or women leaving college. I think that's where MLS would actually be well positioned. That like the the MLS teams are all scouting college at 
vastly different levels. And if you had a couple of like set tiers of what they could sign a player at, like, let's say you get five, you know, new player entries from college a season or whatever, and your first one's a million dollar signing or whatever, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollar signing and they work their way down from there or something. Then it's like, everybody's working with the same economic tools and a player can go around and, you know, shop their services to the teams they want. And the teams have different, you know, amounts of knowledge on the different players. I think it would work well. Um, although this does get to my dream NBA uh, league setup, which is you do an entire redraft of the entire league every single season. Each season you add in the new college kids, but your salary is based exactly on which player order you were drafted in every single round. So the max, the highest paid player in the NBA next year would be the guy who's taken number one overall in the NBA. And you just redraft the whole league every year. That sounds way more fun. <laughs> be a nightmare for the housing market for players. Sure. Rent, like, don't buy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the hell? You would you would just like everybody would live in Miami and Vegas and L.A. or whatever. They just fly to every game anyway. So it'd be fun. <laughs> uh there we go all right i'm gonna do a couple of lightning round uh here and I'll, I'll i'll probably answer a couple of these but i think you guys will enjoy these as well uh would you like to hear about my doctor cop attorney at law cinematic universe drama scentless violence about a canine forced into retirement after losing the ability to smell but has to come out of retirement when his former handler is kidnapped the answer to that is yes. We yes. would like to know well, it more. It sounds like we heard about it. <laughs> yeah, I would like. I, I would like to know more. Uh, that was from Andy K on Twitter. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, what can we actually do to see the lights of Cincinnati happen? We could have our very own pre-match. Uh, you'll never walk alone, folks. We'll try next year. <laughs> I don't think you, can go to a, you can go to a Valhalla FC match. Yes, you can go to a Valhalla FC match. Um, is there, this is from Caitlin H in the Discord, is there a mirror universe of Dr. Cop uh, in who would play anti-Dr. Cop and what is anti-Dr. Cop's profession? Grayson, I, I throw this to you. <laughs> well, first of all, there's not, there's no mirror universe anti-Dr. Cop. Mirror, Dr. Cop takes place in our world. It is grounded. Ooh. Okay. There's definitely a mirror this universe. Is, He's got a goatee no. and everything. I know this. No. Yes. Well, first of all, Dr. Cop is a woman. Well, yeah, the so the anti version. the mirror one would be a man with a goatee. <laughs> Obviously. This is how the, there are rules about say, this sort of thing. This is like Loki, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say if there was an anti Dr. Cop, uh, she would be played by Katherine Heigl because she's like very unlikable. <laughs> it just doesn't have like much charisma. Like Katherine Heigl, Katherine Heigl shows up in a movie and it's like, oh, the top like. Seven to twelve rom-com actresses passed on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Noted charisma vacuum. Catherine Heigl's a good answer. Uh, Chief, I have a question of the comments there or the, uh, the the thing. You knew this one was coming. I want oh, you yeah. to read this one. <laughs> yeah. Hypothetical. You will need to achieve a gold medal in an Olympic sport. 
You have one year to train and your competition will be 100 individuals or teams if you choose a team sport randomly selected from Ohio who are of your same age and gender. What sport would you choose to give yourself the best chance? If you choose a team sport, your team will also be randomly selected. If you don't get gold, you'll serve 10 years in prison. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time thinking about this today because Schwai posted this one in the Discord. This is from Schwai. And um, I went online. I looked at all of the Olympic sports. And my thought process was this. You need to pick something. Because Schwai later clarified that the 100 random individuals would not also have the year to train. They would just right. be selected at random on the day of whatever competition was happening. So you need to pick something that it is the least likely thing for one of those 100 people would actually be good at. So that's going to eliminate a lot of things like wrestling or boxing or distance running or, you know, anything like that, where you might run into someone who did wrestling in college or, or what have mm, you. Right. So the uh, the answer that I've come up with is uh, equestrian. Ooh. Uh, there is a uh, horse jumping and dressage are both uh, Olympic events. Dressage is basically just horse dancing. So I would use my year to find a horse that had been was a professional dressage horse and get really good at riding that on the theory that the odds of finding one person in Ohio uh, out of those 100 individuals that one of those people actually has experienced horseback riding is probably very low. I like the answer. I don't know how many dressage horses are used to a, uh, I'll say a jockey of your, of your stature. Uh, <laughs> I'll throw that one out there. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not perfect. Okay. <laughs> I, I loved this question. I, I have two, I have two ideas here. Uh, one is in high school, I was a varsity discus and shot put thrower, which is, uh, a very specialized skill. However, if you've seen me, I'm not the biggest fella in the world. And as you start to get to the highest levels, uh, overall just strength can uh, can win the day. However, I have perfect technique, or at least I did. And so I like to think that with a year of training, I, I could I could dust off the old discus or shot put uh skills there and try it out but i do think if anybody else were trying this i think i would do uh competition shooting that feels like the one you don't need as much athleticism and you could spend a lot of time getting good at it and even if somebody is a casual shooter if you spent a year getting good at it you should be able to come out on top i don't know if you have a lot of people in ohio who've yeah, the firearm been shooting their whole lives. The like, firearm ownership fair. rate in the state is <laughs> like I, I would not choose skiing, right? Because there's scores of people in the state of living in the state of Ohio who are way better at skiing than I would get over the course of a year, no sure. matter how hard I trained. But sure. you got to remember too that it's that's a random 100 people. So what yeah, you really you just need one. Right, like but you're one in the group that's better than you. Right, so you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to look for what is the what is what is the Olympic sport that the fewest number of Ohioans do, so that you're maximizing your chance of getting an entire pool of 100 people that have never done this before. And the answer is luge. A luge is good, or like skeleton run, something that's like how many? Well, I, don't like, I, don't like going, I don't like going head first. Fair. <laughs> 
But um, if you practice head first for a year, you're exponentially more likely that the 100 people that are competing against you are going to chicken out or like, cause the hardest, the hardest skeleton die. run, the hardest <laughs> skeleton run is probably the first one. Right. And that's getting over the fear that you're traveling at 90 miles an hour down a chute of ice dome first, you know, yeah. towards whatever. So I feel like with, with skeletons, I thought about this too, with skeleton, you would eliminate the majority of the competition that would just be like, Oh hell no, I'm not doing that. I'll take my time in prison. Do they have to go to prison or they just have to beat me? I think they just have to beat you. So yeah, maybe you did. Maybe like half of them would walk yeah, out immediately. So yeah, so, yeah I, I, that's a good point. Um, and I do feel like if you can get to the point where you can consistently finish the uh, skeleton or luge run without like falling off of the sled, yeah, you're all you're like in top three, four, right. Like if you get a hundred Ohioans, <laughs> not like a handful tops are actually finishing a loser skeleton run the first time they try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many? How many people in Ohio? Oh, that's a great question. How many people in the state of Ohio do you think have actually successfully completed a loser run? What a great question! Oh man, it's got to be like I was going to say like in like the low hundreds. I did. I don't even. Okay, so I'm not a skier, right? But like, what? At what point in your in your life are you offered the ability to do the luge? Like, where does that even come up as an option? I feel it's, like I feel like 95 percent of people that do it in the United States are like at that ski resort in upstate New York, right? Or in right. Minnesota somewhere. Yeah, live near the luge run or whatever. Yeah, somebody, right? yeah, like you have to live near one of like Salt Lake City where they built the luge right. course or in uh what was the uh where was it new york when they had the olympics there it was in lake placid lake placid, lake placid. Yeah. You, like if you live in lake placid or salt lake city where they built a luge track <laughs> right maybe <laughs> and even there probably most people are like fuck no that looks really dangerous yeah right um Although the the skiing one is is decent, Grayson, because you could put like a a very specific type of skiing. Like I don't know what's that. Uh, what's the one with like all the the bunny hills, like the speed the moguls. Skiing? Yeah, like you could get good at like a specialized one. Then like the number of people that you're up against that have ever skied is probably a little lower. And then like know that one, you're probably all right. Here's the there problem. Is somebody look. There is somebody who lives in my house <laughs> that would be a better skier a year from now than I would hope to be if I practiced nonstop for five years. <laughs> and I assume that there's more than just one in the state of Ohio. Fair. So, according to this article in 1998, which again is, which to be fair, is a long time ago, that there were only about 200 people competing in luge in the United States. Damn, that's pretty good. Luge is, so even, is even at today's inflation rates, that's not that many. <laughs> even, even Joe, Joe Biden's, Biden's America. America. <laughs> <laughs> Schwab did add a caveat in the Discord that does ah. that is one knock on luge, and that's that if you are injured during the course of your training and unable to compete on competition day, that's a loss. So sorry, right to prison. So I do feel that luge and skeleton do present a high risk of injury such that you may not actually make it to competition day. You have no idea. You can't fathom 
how slow I would go <laughs> for my first 100, 200, 300 runs. You've never seen anything like this. I, I don't you. think you have a choice. I think gravity makes that decision for you on a lose track. Let's let's assume you're in a, a, a position. Do you a little, don't you have like a little break? What, in right. the luge? Yeah, no, it's like it's a little you, handle you do. You do like three runs, right? Like, and you take your best time. No, it's like you talking about the break. Like, there's a break oh, on the luge oh. sled. I don't think that works. I don't think it's like an actual full stop break. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched a, a solid luge run there. Um, I, I did. Th- th- so let's assume you had a financial, you had the financial stability to like literally drop everything. You quit your job and you dedicate an entire year of your life. To doing luge, I think there's an argument. I will drag my hands <laughs> along the sides. I will. I will starfish. I just. I think you could become like a top five luger if you did that for a year. Like, I'm guessing the people who are the best at luging. I, I have no idea how to talk about this. I doubt they're training that much themselves. They have real jobs and whatnot. So like not, a, not only do you not go to prison, you actually join the US Olympic yeah, team too. that's what I'm getting at. I think you do pretty good. Incidentally. <laughs> they call that a twofer. This is a phenomenal fantasy sports punishment that if you come in last, <laughs> you have to take, you have to do a luge run oh, at, <laughs> you have to fly to like, like the entire buy-in for your fantasy league is to pay for the loser to fly to Lake Placid <laughs> and they have to do a luge or a skeleton run down the Olympic track. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh man. What a good question. Thank you, Shwai. Um, Oh, I've I've got two more real quick. Uh, this one is not so much a question, but this is a good comment on Facebook. Um, this is from Roger. He said, uh, this was in response to me posting the, uh, the fun graphic there. He said, when the discussion is about team or the game, uh, then the content is usually very good. However, this is ruined by Kevin's consistent, inane laughter during and after every comment. When, Even when there is nothing remotely funny, do you take a whiff of nitrous oxide during the show? So thank you, Roger, for that comment. I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Appreciate uh, thank, it. Thank you for the downloads. They all count the same. Uh, and then finally, uh, this one was from the Discord. Uh, this is from Jason. He said, MLS is going to expand to two more cities and relocate two teams. What cities are you choosing? Uh, Chief, I'll give you the expansion question. I'll give Grayson the relocation question. So Chief, expand to us two different cities. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Tampa, Florida. There we go. Good ones. And Grayson, you're relocating two of the teams. I'm relocating um, San Jose Earthquakes to, does it say like where we're relocating them? Or do they go where Chief said? <laughs> no, no, no. You got to pick a new city. We're, we're adding four new markets to MLS, adding two. Well, and... San Jose is going to Vegas. That's the new Bay Area. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Playing at the new A's stadium, sure. <laughs> and then the other team that we will relocate um, will be um, Chicago. Uh, no, no, not Chicago Fire. Sorry. Um, Columbus Crew. Okay. Columbus Crew. Uh, they will move to Cleveland and we will have two <laughs> nice waterfront, uh, waterfront adjacent uh, stadiums. 
That's beautiful. I will, uh, and to top the question off, I will banish all of the Canadian teams. So there you go. Can we, yeah, can we yeah. do can we do one more? Because I saw this one on the Facebook, and I'm going to read this one. And this is just right up my wheelhouse. You are entering a tag team match, and you can have one FC Cincinnati player as your partner. Who is it and why? It's Matt Miaska, duh. <laughs> right? I mean, he might get himself disqualified from the match, though. And if I've seen one, I've seen I've seen this happen in a WWF match or WWE match a lot of times. If it's just you because your partner got thrown out, two on one is not a way to win. That's not okay. That's a good point. So Dude. Matt Max seems to work himself up, work himself up more than he seems to get into the opponent's head. Um, so I'm going with Ray Gaddis. The button pusher. The Lord allows him to push buttons. Wow, that's good. I think if it's if it's historic in any player in the history oh, of Kendall, oh Deckel, <laughs> Deckel would be good. <laughs> Deckel is 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 historic of the current roster. Um, I'll bet Marco Angulo's got some top rope moves. He just has that vibe to him that he might be able to do like a four fifty splash or something like that. He he could fly. Yeah, do it. Little Kofi Kingston vibe going on. <laughs> he has the hair for it, man. That sure cool. does. Yeah, it's intimidating. <laughs> Would move a lot of merch, which is the real the real goal of a professional wrestling match. That's true. <laughs> oh man. Well, there you go. Uh, there are certainly plenty of questions we did not get to, so um, I am going to save these and I'm going to keep them in a cumulative uh, mailbag. And uh, if we get the opportunity to do one of these again, uh, your questions could still be answered. So there you go. I appreciate everybody uh, doing that. Now we have to spend some time actually talking about this Philadelphia match, eh? So let's get over there, do that in part two, and let's get. Uh, let, let these fine folks get back to their turkey. This episode is also brought to you by Sensi Shirts. Look, you know Sensi Shirts. You love Sensi Shirts. They've been with FCC from the beginning, and we here at the Postcast, we're just huge fans of their work. They were very early sponsors of the Postcast here, and we have always enjoyed their work. If you head on over to CincyShirts.com, that's Cincy with a Y, Shirts.com, and check out using the promo code ThePostCincy, all one word, all caps, you will get 10% off your order and you let them know that we sent you. Like they have MLS and MLSPA licensed FCC gear available online and at their two retail locations in Hyde Park and Fort Mitchell. If they don't have your size on the shelf, they can print you one on the spot. That is a fantastic feature and something that I have used as well. So again, special thank you to Cincy Shirts. Head on over to their website or check the link down below in the description for the promo code ThePostCincy for 10% off your next order. And a huge thank you to Cincy Shirts. All right, here we are, part two. If you've somehow survived the mailbag portion of this episode, you have finally made it. The meat and potatoes, we have made it through the ridiculous offseason that is the MLS Cup playoffs presented by Audi, as discussed by the postcast. And we've made it to the match preview part. And we have some soccer to talk about even before we really touch on the match preview. The exciting news here is that Pat Noonan 
is your 2023 MLS Siggy Schmidt Coach of the Year. Uh, so well done to Pat. I, I don't know about you guys. Feels like a bit of a coup based on where the media narrative was going into yeah. this one. I agree. The overwhelming majority of people that published their votes online that I saw in my little circles, which I'm going to choose to project to be what everyone was seeing, <laughs> seemed to indicate that uh, Bradley Cardinal, Cardinal, is that right? Cardinal, yeah. Or, yep. Yeah, that he was going to win this for St. Louis. Um, and it turns out when you looked at the uh, vote breakdown, he, in fact, did win the media vote, but not by as much as I I would have mm -hmm. guessed. I would have guessed based on what I was seeing online that he would have had about 60% of the media vote. I think it was closer to like 39, 40% that he had. But uh, Pat Noonan, runaway winner for the people who actually play the sport, the <laughs> players and the people who are involved in teams. And Do it we ended know... up not. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say it ended up not being a close vote when you looked at the vote breakdown. Yeah. yeah. Do we know who, who does the club vote? Is that just, is that sporting directors? You know, I don't know. Yeah, probably whatever we're calling the chief soccer officer, right? The CSO. So whatever you're... Jeff Burden, got it. <laughs> you know what? I would love to see Jeff's ballot. <laughs> um, Just Pat it's, Noonan it's, repeated It's over technical and over staffs. Again. It's oh. MLS club technical staffs. Okay, so... So multiple votes per team. Yeah, so it looks like I mean, at the very least, you would think it would be GM coaches, coach, assistant coaches, GMs. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah. So that's that's pretty it's pretty good that yeah that Noonan won both of those players and technical staff votes pretty um, pretty handily. Uh, I did see some media already trying to promote one of their. Uh, Russia Gate narratives, uh, oh. where there was some some reporter out of St. Louis. Uh, it's like every day I find out there's some new weirdo that like holds <laughs> themselves out as like an MLS reporter uh, who I'd never seen before. Which makes me think that if we would just write articles, we might actually be able to invade this space. But that seems like a lot of work to actually write. Yeah, I got I got other things to do. Yeah, I think we also would. Add to the confusion of what people think this is. <laughs> like a one-star one unlistenable podcast, if you believe our latest review on iTunes. <laughs> if, that was definitely one of those ref sock poppet accounts that was <laughs> harassing us on, on, on Twitter for a few days. Uh, it was probably Chris Penzo. <laughs> probably. Speculative. I'm not saying yes. it was. Allegedly. Also, Allegedly. he's a public figure, so there's no malice here. Right. Yes. Many I don't people know are whether saying. it was or wasn't. Um, but yeah, what was this conspiracy theory? So it was basically like, uh, Noonan lost the media vote. Mm -hmm. So like, there must be some tomfoolery going on or some bias, uh, against Carnell from the players and MLS technical staffs. <laughs> Ballots of boxes arriving in trucks for Pat Noonan overnight. <laughs> Carnell went to bed one night leading, and then he woke up the next morning and he was I, down many votes. I love the confusion of democracy for bias. Like, everybody I know is a Trump fan, but Biden won. 
I'm starting to think some of these voters are biased towards Biden. It's like, hey, man, they, that's like what voting is. <laughs> it's like the, it's the old line. It's like, I don't understand how Richard Nixon is present. No president. Nobody I know voted for him. Right. Yeah, who was that? Was that Pauline Kael? I believe so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so take that one star. <laughs> I'd like to see Cincinnati soccer talk pull that one out of their out of their back pocket. Kale reference. Oh man. Um, uh, so um, so yeah, it's just wild to think that like the meet the players or the technical staffs would be the one. There is like there is a there is a thought. This this actually bleeds over to other sports that um players and coaches like aren't actually good end of year awards voters in sports because they're so focused on their own team. I can get behind that generally. Um and like well, the media like pays attention like at a at a league wide level. Yeah, this which is just also the media pumping its own tires here. Yes. Yeah, right. right. Like yeah. we've said this before, like these guys are not watching every game. You cannot. There are just too many games. They happen at the exact same time. And yeah. I do do not believe that every single one of these people are going back and watching the full 90 minutes of every single league game every single week. You would have nothing else to do with your time. Like, allegedly, they're they're writing articles and, and researching and doing interviews as well. You don't have time to do all of that. Right. And it's and I'm not, I don't blame anybody for it. I just I guess I blame you if you pretend like you do watch everything yes. and you're equal expert on every team. Um, but you have like the, you know, folks in Vancouver. Voting for Ryan Gold for MVP. Right. You know, like. uh uh Jeff Jeff Reuter always says uh, uh, Reynoso is like the best player in the league. Right. And like, yeah, that's fine. You get you get a lot of exposure to them. But it just it's just have a little perspective, you know, which is what I don't I'm not. So when what something I've been tracking all year mentioning on the podcast is like. It seems like very often we end up with the like former local announcer yes. of the team that we're playing. Yes. And I'm not saying that these that these people are intentionally biased in any way. I just think they happen to know more about the other team. Yeah. So it come because they're they've been more involved with that team. They got better relationships with that team. I'm sure they, they do their should, best. They should know I'm more. I'm sure about I'm sure the they do team. their best, but in invariably Ends up feeling like you're watching a home broadcast of that team when the whole pitch of this Apple TV has been that these are neutral broadcasts. Right. Right. But I, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. The point yeah. of the point is Pat Nunes, coach of the year, never in doubt, no argument otherwise. <laughs> uh, we, we were on this from the beginning. Uh, no, we were brave truth tellers. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to us for that. Um, I, feel I, do about it. I, I feel great. I'm happy this was long overdue. The body of work argument is for Pat Noonan. Yep. The season quality is for Pat Noonan. The arguments for Carnell went out the window as soon as somebody pointed out, I believe it was you, Grayson. This wasn't even the best 
uh, history, uh, season in expansion team history. He was one point off, and St. Louis was one point off the record LAFC set. They lost more games than LAFC did. Um, Chicago so actually had more wins because the one that they re- immediately retreated to was most wins. Yeah. Uh, which, like, who cares? It's right. not about. We don't, we about don't measure success in wins in soccer, it's um, points. But, um, but the, 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 um, I guess there's two, there should be two asterisks on Chicago's expansion season. Uh, one is they paid, they played fewer games. Okay. So that helps Chicago's case. But two is there were no ties that year in MLS. Ah, <laughs> they hadn't, well, they hadn't done, they hadn't done ties yet. Hey, so not their you, fault. You had you to only play the games. Play, <laughs> they played the rule set that they had in front yeah. of them. Right. Can you I, can only can, play the schedule in front of you. They also were, won the Open Cup their expansion year, which I know doesn't isn't supposed to. I think to Chicago weigh. won MLS Cups their expansion year. I think they won the Open Cup. Maybe they right. won. Maybe they won MLS Cup. We'll figure but, this well, out. While you're fact checking that, while you're fact checking <laughs> that, if you guys would indulge me for a second, I'd like Please. to read the most reasoned response from a St. Louis fan on the <laughs> MLS announcement thread. This <laughs> comes from Megan Brown. Brown Mega nine six two five at uh on the old X app. This is uh, great. There's a at uh, at the soccer don is a racist African American hating discriminator. He won't step foot in St. Louis because he hated St. Louis getting a team and was trying to get the owners to vote otherwise. He is a woman hater, or sorry, he a woman hater and abuser. Boycott the league until they remove him and have him arrested. So my first question about this <laughs> is, is this, is this some running troll where like Elon Musk identifies himself as an African-American because he's from South Africa, as is Bradley Carnell? Is there any I, risk that this is a bit? I can't tell because I tagged this tweet with best fan St. Louis. <laughs> and uh then i was immediately blocked so i can't see any, i can't okay. see anything so, else from this person so it's not a it's not a bit I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lean towards not a bit their profile picture was of the st louis cardinals which leads me oh, to believe not a bit. no no capacity for irony so yeah there's that and then two they're not really that big of a fan but did do a quick google search of the coach saw he was from africa and just assumed they could run with this one. So. I want to point out, though, not just is their profile, not only is their profile picture a picture of the St. Louis Cardinals logo, it's the St. Louis Cardinals transparent PNG image, but like a screenshot of that because it has the checkerboard background <laughs> behind the Cardinals logo, indicative of the fact that there's a transparency layer behind the uh, the image as well. I love that so much. Um, it's the, the internet good. remains undefeated. It's the I best also, unintentional source of comedy online um, in the world. <laughs> I love the bit about how uh, MLS didn't want a team in St. Louis. <coughs> no, nah, they wanted a team in St. No, Louis. They really <laughs> wanted that team in St. Louis. There are so many people that were begging for this to happen, trying to make fetch happen when it comes to St. Louis. Um, uh, I also like speaking of uh, African-American bias. Uh Alan Koch, as yep. I believe the last uh, South African coach to win coach of the year in uh, a North American league. I'll go on a limb and say that. That feels good. 
Have we yeah. talked on this podcast before about the unhinged interview that Alan Koch did when he got the job with FC Cincinnati? So we did talk about Tommy G asking him about apartheid. Okay, then we don't need to rehash that again. It still uh, remains one of the craziest uh, fucking things I have ever experienced listening to soccer first content. Question. We've talked about it so much. Well, not well. I thought I've thought about it so much that my first thought today, when I realized that Alan Koch was the last South African coach uh, to win uh, Coach of the Year in a uh, North American Soccer League, I'll just I'll just say that's probably right. Um, Seems truthy. Uh, I did do a search for Bradley Carnell with apartheid in quotes. <laughs> I did not find uh, anybody, any interviews asking him about what he thought, what he thinks about it. Um, and I do feel like that's probably, you know, if there is a bias, it probably is that. That, yeah. that some folks were just like, we need someone to ask him what he which side he's on before we can give him our vote. Look, I'm just saying I've seen maybe one interview with Bradley Carnell did not condemn apartheid in that interview. So I don't know if he said it elsewhere, but many people asking, can, can I pivot to our I man? Say, I'm sure he's against it. I just want to get, I would say that I'm sure he's, <laughs> I'm sure he, I'm sure he's fine. You know, less about St. Less about, Sorry. <laughs> less about St. Louis scumbags, more about our man. Uh, yes. Before we move on, I really do want to discuss the video that was the announcement video that FC Cincinnati posted. Yes. Where he, uh, Pat Noonan, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. But if you haven't seen it by now at this point, Pat Noonan uh, is summoned to a meeting that he thinks is about Matt Miazga, as I, <laughs> is my understanding as to how, what the pretext of this is. So the entire team is in their media room. And when he thinks they're about to get some updates from the league or updates on new policy or find out that Miazga has been suspended for an additional year for his involvement in uh, RefGate, uh, New York Red Bulls edition. And then they hit him with the video package of all the players congratulating him that he's won coach of the year. And then his family is on hand to present him with an award. And if you'd never met Pat Noonan before or seen Pat Noonan before in this short video, you learn everything. It's great writing from a script writing point of view. Mm -hmm. This one scene shows you everything you need to know about the character of Pat Noonan is the man is all business. When he is hit with an okie doke that we're not here for a meeting, he immediately pivots and has prepared remarks sort of in the back of his head. So that he's not truly caught off guard. Doesn't overly celebrate. Doesn't get overhyped. Makes a couple of when, dry jokes. A couple of quick jokes. And then when his kids come to present him with the award, his first concern is why they aren't in school. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of all this, he stops just to confirm. So there isn't a meeting we have to go to, right? I'm just double checking. <laughs> what a professional there. Just the man. The man is relentlessly on brand. And I, I love him so much more after watching this because you are getting Pat Noonan, the unvarnished Pat Noonan in this moment. And he is exactly who you think he is. And, he, and you know, no, no moment is too big for him. Right. Like he's not going to get lost at any moment. Like, like you said, um, he's he sits down. He's ready to hear about what's going on with with I. It feels like a pretty pointed reference to Matt Miazga at the beginning of the video. Yeah. Um, and I have a thought about that, but. Um, and then, you know, he pivots to the speech. He 
asks, you know, I take it there's not any meeting. Um, but he never like loses. He's like under perfect, perfect control the entire time. Right. Yeah. Like he makes sure there's nothing else he needs to do, that he has all the information that he's meeting, hitting all of his marks. And it's exact. It's everything you want in a, yeah. in a, in a manager. The man is the emotions are perfectly controlled. It's almost like this is a Vulcan. It's a Vulcan level of mental discipline. This man has to remain directly on the level the entire time. This is a guy who would never get lost in a song. And just start (laughs) blurting out lyrics. (laughs) He's he's the kind of man that would show up at a dead and company show and two minutes into the song be uh, immediately asked the guy next to him. So is there a point to all this? <laughs> is this it? All right, I get it. <laughs> all right, I've heard enough. Can we get to the next song? I don't have all night. Wait, they're going to do this for another 30 minutes? What the fuck? Oh, man. Uh, Grayson, I did like your observation about the Matt and the Asga pretext of all of this. Would you Would you care to expand on that? Yeah, so if you if you don't catch it, there's a little bit at the beginning of the video where Albright says, um, <clears throat> you know, MLS wanted to have a meeting with us about some of the things going on behind the scenes. As you're aware, there's a few things uh, going on in the background or something along those lines. And it's the only thing that it could really possibly be. And this the video was taken November 10th, right? Yep. It feels like a very specific reference to... Whatever happened with Matt Miazga and the referees, this is like three days after the PSRA tweet. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would have been Tuesday. It was on election day. It was Tuesday, November 7th. Yeah. So. The way I take that is that Albright, knowing the meeting is fake. Knowing that this is going to go out on social media. Would not be joking about the <laughs> stuff going on with with the with the Matt Miazga incident if there was any chance that that was going to end up in a significant uh punishment beyond him missing the game for accumulation now see yeah. i think that what they really need to do is they need to go on the offensive and fc cincinnati needs to make an announcement thanking the psra for playing along with the bit to create a situation that got Pat Noonan into that meeting and just thank him and say, we appreciate PSRA being in on the joke to get Pat Noonan to sit down for this meeting to receive his coach of the year award and play it off. Like none of this happened at all. And that everybody was <laughs> together in on this because otherwise you'd never get Pat Noonan to break his training regiment. You'd never get him to take an unnecessary meeting or, anything right. like that uh so it had to be something big and so thank them for creating this big fake kerfuffle with matt miazga in order to facilitate this great piece of content for our social media team so good just so good what do you what do you think they told because like okay let's assume that this is on the level and this wasn't all staged because it doesn't look staged mm-hmm. what do you think they told noonan to as the reason why we've got all these cameras filming this extra meeting that mls wants to have well, one of the cameras looks like just a camera that's in the room all the time. Yeah. Just like a camera up in the corner. I think um, you could do a, hey, this is a mandatory league like seminar video. 
or, you know, something along those lines. But we need to shoot social media content for playoff week. So we'll kind of make it look like it's a game film session. So if you guys could just like Some let B-roll. it shoot a little bit. Yeah. 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 That's, that's how I would have spun it. Yeah. It was good content, though. It, was it really very, was. Very... It was excellent video. And there is there is a longer form version of the players talking about Noonan. They show they show a couple clips of it in the coach of the year announcement video. And it is a night. That's also a nice companion video. Um, to see a few of the players give kind of longer thoughts. Um, you know, you get, I loved in the announcement video, he's like, hi coach. It's, it's Ray. That's the it was just, like, it was just like, it's Ray, uh, you know, Ray, Ray Gaddis, uh, from, from work. Uh, uh, but, uh, Obi refers to Noonan as like a father figure. Yeah. Which first of all, if I, I'm not, I'm not as old as Noonan, but Noonan's like of an age where if I had like a 27 year old call me a father figure, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> older 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 brother figure i mean yeah. or you could take it that like like i guess thanks for thinking i was getting my swerve on at age 15 yeah. <laughs> that i look um, like the kind of guy that might have had a kid in high school <laughs> now but you know if you've read some of the stuff about about you know obi's life i think that that i don't think he would use those that phrasing lightly yeah um and you know, I just, but largely, you know, Haglin talks about um, how, you know, when he, when he met with Noonan, he wanted to play with him and um, um, how, uh, you know, he's, he's felt like not just a good locker room presence, but also an important player on the field under Noonan, which like, I don't know. It was very, it was a really, really good content day yeah for the team yeah. and they didn't have to make weird jokes about <laughs> Rayal salt lake using ai it. <laughs> <laughs> or uh retweet a video of a porcupine which we saw you admin we saw that um <clears throat> also i uh oh man i had something and it is now gone damn well, I have something. Uh, oh, please. We should be, so there's obviously another award oh. to be announced. We don't know yes. when that will be announced. Yes. But um, uh, FC Cincinnati has won Defender of the Year and Coach of the Year. Okay. We expect to also win MVP. Yes. Um, Although, yeah. I mean, this was kind of a little <laughs> bit of a surprise in terms of how the the vote broke down. Um, so if, if that holds, we would become one of three teams that to win coach of the year, defender of the year and MVP in the same season. Okay. 2008, Kansas city and 2008. What was crew? Both um, 2008. What? You said Both? 2008 twice. Yeah. I said 2000 Kansas oh, city. Oh, okay. And 2008. Columbus crew. Got it. I heard 2008 twice, right, Kevin? That's I, I don't care. Okay. I don't care Just, what you heard. He's 2000, <laughs> 2000 Kansas City. And uh, both those teams 
Well, first of all, neither the neither the teams also won goal of the year and save of the year. Suckers. So that's that's important to note. But also, both of those teams won the double. Many people asking today, is the is the MLS awarding FC Cincinnati all of these awards so that they can then come back and shit on us when we don't win MLS Cup? <laughs> is this all a long con to set us up as a disappointment if we had MLS MVP, Defender of the Year, Coach of the Year, Goal of the Year, Save of the Year? Well, is this now making the case that we're a disappointment if we don't win MLS Cup? I'm glad they put the chip on St. Louis's shoulder now that they've bowed out of the playoffs. So I don't, I don't <laughs> mind that. We don't have to deal with that narrative, you know, should should we both make the final or whatever. Um, Chief, I like the idea, although if this is our way of being trolled, I don't mind it that much. Right. <laughs> uh, I remember what I was going to say, which is, we talked about this previously, when we had him on the show, Joseph Mamey, pretty quick on a lot of these awards. I don't know if anybody saw the uh, the poll uh, that he put up uh, about a week ago. Or yeah. Last Friday, I think. Last Friday, he wanted people to come up with a name for his goat that he got. He got a new goat, and his three options were, in order, Patrick, Juan, Cody, or you might even call him Coach of the Year. Patrick won Coach of the Year, and nobody picked up on that. <laughs> oh, and by the way, um, we did learn in the video that Noonan's wife calls him Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> it's kind of adorable, actually. It is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to call him Patrick? No, we we're not. That? No. So that's, that's, their, <laughs> that's their thing. Patty. We're going to call him Patty. Patty <laughs> Noonan. We're going to call him, we're gonna call him Noons. Noons. Nooner. Nooner. <laughs> I think Twelman called him Nooner on that podcast he called him either noons or nooners i'd have to go back to listen to it he had a name like there was that. a there was an s sound at the end though nooners there nooners you it might have been nooners <laughs> only his wife's allowed to call him that too <laughs> oh god well there we go coach of the year for our coach uh and yeah chief as you said overdue so yeah. you can still feel a little mad about the award i just coach of the sure. year in our hearts coach of the year in reality in the program. In a, in a nice brand new deal to go along with that, which means he's not going anywhere. That's a glorious feeling. So, so happy that is already been locked up. Same with Albright. Same with Lucho. Keep him coming. Yeah. I think. I don't know if there's anybody else we need to sign long term, but I love it. Um, and that leads us to finally, we're here. The Philadelphia Union come to Cincinnati to visit, to play in the conference semifinals or the quarterfinals of the MLS Cup playoffs, depending on how you want to imagine your tournaments. <sighs> this is it. Yeah. This is home games for the rest of the way, win or lose. And it's a team that we are familiar with. It's the team that is, you know, got a, we got a lot of our DNA from. I. I can't help but feel both very confident and that it's very difficult to win on the road in this league, that we have a very good team. And at the same time, this is a team without Matt Miazga and is dealing with key injuries at 
with Santiago Arias and uh, Obino Woboto. Though we should point out that Woboto, um, as of recording, has returned to on-field practicing <sighs> versus having been training inside. Now he's training off to the side. And by the time you listen to this, he may be just training outright. That would be incredible. But like at the very least, yes. the status is moving and pushing towards what I would expect to be someone who's going to play on Saturday. Arias yeah. was also working individually on the side field. Yeah. So these are good developments. And Chief is exactly right. The The tier seems to be, one, they are off-site recovering either at home or at some other medical facility, a la Nick Haglin, I, I assume, is still... In, right. uh, in we're gonna England. we're gonna we're gonna term this uh, the he's Pat not Noonan. in England anymore, I believe. Okay, so he's yeah. at least home and recovering though. This is the Pat Noonan pyramid of health, yes. much like the Ron Swanson pyramid yes. of greatness. At the base <laughs> level, is not there, not there, someplace else. And then you move up to working indoors. There is a sort of like working indoors a, which is like balcony work. That feels to be like. Better than just indoors, but indoors nonetheless. And if you've been to the Mercy Health Training Center, the balcony, they do have a fire pit and there's a bar. So working outdoors on the balcony could be just like sipping a bourbon or something like that, too, That's for true. all we know. That's how I normally work out. Yes. Uh, then, then there is the working out individually. So now you've made it out of the facility or on the field, but you are not with anybody else, but presumably a trainer and maybe uh, somebody from the academy to make up numbers for a drill. And then you are with the full team that is full participant, ready to go. So that is the progression. The peak, the peak of the pyramid. It's as good as it gets. And uh, yeah. Uh, Arius and Obi are making their way up that pyramid. They had not been seen, so working indoors, our second to last place on this pyramid, uh, up until, what is it, Tuesday uh, of this week. So, well done. Uh, happy to see the progress. They have four days of training, including Tuesday, to, to get through this. So, hopefully, that carries on there. And then that leads us to the game itself. Um, a bit of uh, statistical anomalies. Philadelphia Union has won exactly one playoff road game in franchise history. And that was their match against the New England Revolution in the first round of these playoffs. They have otherwise never won a road playoff game. It's difficult to do that. FCC has one as well. That came at the exact same time, I think the same, or a couple of days prior. So no, we won a no, we won New game York. last year. We won New York. I'm a moron, guys. So listen yeah, to me. you are. Yeah. Yeah. One, one star. star. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me laugh about this. Um, so I don't know. Grayson, what are your vibes right now? I, it's a mixed bag, I think. Yeah, so... It is a mixed bag. Obviously, we know Miazga is going to be out. Haglin's going to be out. Um, Alvis Powell has returned, you know, fairly recently to full team training. That's good. Uh, looks like Bupenza is in the good graces of the team. So Been back in the country, he'll be Positive. he'll be there. Uh, apparently, he and Lucho had a quite a spectacular bit of play to score in training today. So you love to see that. Yep. Um. Lucho also apparently assisted a Ray Gattis goal in training today. So keep your eyes Whoa. out. So keep your eyes out for that one. Um, 
and uh uh you know if we have Arius and um Bupenza trending in the right direction and Arius and Woboto, Arius right. and Woboto trending in the right direction uh that would be good it'd be great to have them both available Saturday mm-hmm. um it would really um really be a big help uh, on the flip side um so Philly's going to have Carranza back. They didn't have him against New England. Yeah. But it was just announced that Leon Flock, who scored their goal against us in the playoffs last year, is done for the year. Uh, he has, he's having surgery or just had surgery. Um, Kai Wagner is suspended yep. uh, for, for our game. And... Um, I am trying to figure out what's going on with Jacob Glessness. Yeah. Jacob Glessness had surgery back in, I think, August or September for a sports hernia. And he's not played since then. Um, Curtin has said as recently as a couple of weeks ago that he's not ruling Glessness out for the playoffs. And um, as far as I can tell, Philly doesn't have the daily... Uh, detailed training updates like we get from uh, our local beat reporters. So I guess stay tuned on that. If I had to guess, I would say, given that I found no no inclination that um, indication that that he's even back, been back in training, uh, that it looks like Glessness is probably also going to be out for Philly. Yeah. Which means that, um, you know, so they've played three at the back against us both of the games this year. Um, They're not going to be able to do that, or at least they're not going to have the same personnel doing that. Yeah. Right. Um, Let's see who they. uh, Yeah. So I I don't know. I, I, I think Glassness is, you know, a really really top top defender in MLS. Um I do not think that Damian Lowe is. Yeah. And the issue is is that like this game might need to be a game where you score multiple goals to win. And I know that's not in keeping with traditional playoff trends, but just with the difficulties FC Cincinnati's gonna have at the back line. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing too that I, I just I'm curious what your take is. I, I do wonder so, yeah, it's really hard to win on the road in MLS playoffs and MLS Cup playoffs. But with this new format, it really does reduce the burden of travel when it's not like you came off a Saturday match, you yeah. have a day of recovery, and then you're traveling again on a Friday or a Thursday to make another Saturday match. They've had an inordinate amount of time, both teams have, between their last match and this one to recover to train, to prepare. So I just don't see the advantage of being the home team quite like you normally would mm. in a cup format where the games are coming a lot more quickly. That's uh, interesting. So yeah. I, it's an endless rest versus rust thing on the other side too. I was talking with my old man about this before we started taping and just his point of, you know, you've got an FC Cincinnati team that, that beats the breaks off New York comes back, has an emotional penalty kick win to seal the series off. 
And then it's like, okay, well, see you all in three weeks. And it's impossible to really build a sense of momentum uh, for either side. You would think that what all of this boils down to is that FC Cincinnati is the more talented of these two teams. Home field advantage may not mean as much, but it still means something, especially for this team that just doesn't lose frequently at home or drop points frequently at home. But can I lay on you a theory I have as to why I feel strangely confident about this game? Please, I would like to feel confident. Joe Burrow's hand. Okay. Because I genuinely believe that in life, you really are only allowed to have one team playing well at any given time. (laughs) For me, I'm not a Bengals fan, but I recognize the majority of the people that are walking into this game are Bengals fans. And me in my life right now, every other team I root for right now is kind of horse shit, except (laughs) for FC Cincinnati. And if you are a Cincinnati sports fan, the only other team that you could possibly lay claim to as being good right now would have been the Bengals. But they're done now. It's over, Johnny. Close up shop. You know, I don't browning, whatever he is, that's going nowhere. So this is really it. This is FC Cincinnati. And I feel like that the sports gods are real. And the sports gods are harsh, but the sports gods are just. And they have punished Cincinnati sports fans in one way. And that has opened up a door for Cincinnati sports fans in another way here. So I'm choosing for that reason and that reason alone to be a little more optimistic than I otherwise would be in this situation going into a terrifying single elimination match. So how am I supposed to feel about the Ohio State-Michigan game coming I think on you, the same day? I got I to gotta, I gotta sacrifice that one? I, I think you got to take one for the team and hope that, you know, Jim Harbaugh wins that one. I would, I would, I'll, I'll sacrifice that one for the FC. Okay, that's big of you. That's really big of you. <laughs> Narrative-wise, that'd be a fun one. I will say, Chief, I agreed with you about Browning. However, I was, I was uh, informed of this, and this certainly changes my opinion of Browning just very quickly. Uh, has an argument for being the greatest high school quarterback of all time. He averaged 365 yards and five touchdowns a game for four years and threw 91 touchdowns his senior year. It doesn't that doesn't tell me anything without telling me who he was playing. I, I heard an interview with I heard an interview with <laughs> Dallas Goddard a while ago, the tight end for the Eagles, yeah. where he said that he went to college at South Dakota and he said that one of the first games he played his senior year, he trucked a kid that was playing safety who was 5'2 and weighed 130 pounds, and they had to stretcher the guy off the field. And he felt really bad about that. So he went over after the game was over to say, hey, how's that kid doing? And they said, oh, no, he's fine. He's right there. He just hit you and realized he had no shot and faked an injury for the rest of the game. Um, You know, I don't don't put much stock in in this guy's high school performance. What you got to remember is that uh, Gordon Bombay was so good in peewee hockey that like Mike Madonna remembered him, you know, 20 years later. Um, See, you can and, make an impression. You know, <laughs> and he you actually can make got an impression a, as a kid, but like, doesn't mean and, you're actually going to make it to the show. And this is another movie we may have to review someday, but like he was so good in peewee hockey that based on that alone, he stopped playing hockey as a kid, went and had a career as a successful high powered lawyer 
and then still got a tryout later in life <laughs> with the NHL. And I think at the start of the Mighty Ducks too, he's actually on the verge of making an NHL roster yeah. before he gets taken he's, out yeah, in a preseason in the minors, game. minors, but he's, trend, yeah. he's trending well. Right. The man hadn't played competitive hockey since he was 10. Had or like sworn 11. off the sport when we uh, <laughs> first meet him in uh, in D1. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, how about that Philadelphia rest, game? <laughs> rest in peace, Minnesota North Stars. They should have left the branding there. Uh, um, so the Philly game, I mean, look, this is a team. We beat them one uh, yep. at home early in the season. Beat them. 2-2. I think we were fairly shorthanded both games. Um in the in the second game we definitely didn't have Lucho. Yeah. Um uh yeah, Kubo started that game, Vasquez, Santos. Um so, so then let me ask you this. What is your solution at center back given the uh, the Matt Miazga suspension. Murphy in the center, Mascara on the left, and um, Powell on the on the right. Oh, and we didn't we didn't have Obi. We beat him in. Mm. We started and people forget people forget. Yerson Mascara Brenner. got a got a red card in that second Philly game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's uh, got to he's got to just keep it. Do you, yeah. Do you change uh Powell out for Gaddis if Arius is unable to go? Or do you put Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So Gaddis would be your center back then and then you'd put Powell on the outside. Got it. Yeah. Um I Powell is just like Gaddis Gaddis is more predictable. Yeah. And probably has like a like like less variance in play. Mm-hmm. Pal is is the better, is the more dynamic um, athlete. Was this sec- was that Philly game the second one? Was that the one where Bupenza was subbed on, scored a goal, and they got subbed off again later in the game? Um, he might have gotten subbed off, but he scored a goal and then he played the ball in that immediately led to Vasquez's goal, but it didn't count as an assist because I think like. Santos got off the goalie. Like Santos got hurt early in this game and they subbed Bupenza on. He scored and then they subbed them off later in the game, I think, because they lost Mascara and they were trying to see out the result. If I am I remembering this? Am yeah, I yeah, making you're this right, up? You're right. So yes. Bupenza went on as a halftime. <laughs> Bupenza went on as a halftime sub. Um, and then he came off at the 87th minute and Powell came on to see the game out. And actually, both teams got a red. Ended up getting a double yeah. out of that game. And we have that same referee this time around. As, yes, we do. Ismail Elfath, who, uh, well-respected official in MLS, got invited to go uh, ref in the World Cup. Does a lot of internet. Does a lot of international games. Um, we have not won a game that he refed since 2019. Now, he's only refed eight of our games. In that time period, we were real bad in between there. So. But I'm, I, I think the last game, I've, so I'm not gonna look this up, because yeah. But I think the game he refed that we won was the Portland game at home, oh, home opener fun. in 2019. 
I mean, it was either going to be that one, right. the Houston one, the Montreal one, and we're running out of options, at least home games. Um, <clears throat> so then, Chief, let's assume for a moment, for a hypothetical, Obi is unable to go. What is your solution in the midfield? Uh, my solution in the midfield, Lucho, obviously, Moreno, and then I think Kubo. Ooh. And just you go Kubo and then you just throw it all forward. Yeah. Thinking that you're going to need to score three or four goals to make up for the leaky back line. And Kubo can, he can defend a little bit. He still has that in him. I don't know. Cause like, I'm just, I'm, I would be really lukewarm at throwing Angulo out mm-hmm. into that. And Angulo is the most like for like sub for Waboto. I don't know. I just, am I, I might be way off base on that, but no, it does seem that like, as the results, <laughs> as the supporter shield race narrowed Angulo's minutes, appeared to go down and then there was quite a bit of rotation and and everything else that was happening so it's hard to really say where he is on the pecking order however it does feel like and i I don't have these numbers in front of me uh, but it does feel like even pinto was getting more run out than angulo was towards the end of the season there so i I do think you're right the argument for putting angulo in is that if you need to create offense later in the game kubo's your best option to do that Mm -hmm. and he does seem to function a little better when he's coming on 50th 55th minute 60th minute and he can go balls out for 30 minutes as opposed to having to play box to box for an entire 90 so i know that's counterintuitive to not have the better player on the field but he just seems to play better when his minutes are limited yeah so then but if if you go that way, do you do you do you play Malik Pinto to start the game and have him just play think, fairly conservatively? I mean he he that's a big ask. He played he played well in Nashville early in the year uh, when he was much greener, mm-hmm. and we you know were able to to get a win in. Um, in Nashville, uh, there's but, a cup. But I will say that Angulo, Angulo feels like the ambitious start. If you want to save Kubo for a yeah um, sub, I think the other big thing is if Arias is playing, but Wobodo isn't. That makes me a lot more comfortable putting Angulo out there. Mm-hmm. If Arias is also not playing then I think you almost have to have a midfield that includes Yuya Kubo just because a, you're sacrificing a lot of dyna, uh, you're sacrificing a lot of dynam dynamism, dynamism, dynamism. Yeah. Yeah, You're not, you're sacrificing a lot on the drop off from Arias to Powell. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to want Kubo out there to give yourself another option moving forward that Powell just isn't going to be. And Kubo Um, can overlap on the right side and be dangerous. Um, to provide that counterbalance to to Barrial, so they'll it'll keep them. Kubo is a player who can help keep them a little bit honest, um, yeah, and not right. just focus on, or, on stopping the left side. 
what would be more likely to happen is Lucho drifts right more, lets Barrial go left, and then Kubo assumes that central attacking role. So I think that that's like the to me that's the big pivot right now is that I think this team can I think this team can win without Matt Miazga. I think this team can possibly win without you without Obi. I think it's a big ass to say this team wins outright without Obi and Miazga. If this team doesn't have Obi Miazga and Arius, I think it's I think that tilts the balance of power in this match to Philadelphia in terms of who I would expect is the is the team that I would if I you made me bet on I would bet on Philly in that scenario. I think that they need to have at least one of Arias or Woboto playing significant minutes in this game to have the advantage. Yeah. And it you know we would we would need to rely on our top end talent to to be spectacular. Yeah. Um yeah. and it would require I think largely individual brilliance or like not necessarily individual brilliance but some like very incisive brilliant play among those guys and which they can do which they we can have the players do. to do it's it's just it feels to me that that Philly's uh, Philly's attacking players, while not as not as good man for man as ours, although I do think Carranza is is quite the player. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like they 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 are extremely comfortable playing Philly style, yeah, um, in a way that. That Bupenza for sure, Lucho to a lesser extent, um, are not really they they are individually brilliant players who are gonna try to make things happen. I guess right. is how I would say it. My big takeaway if for the thing to watch though is this team has to do better than they have done down the stretch defending set pieces mm-hmm. and defending long uh, shots long shots chaos balls like set pieces and long shots chaos balls second chance balls opportunity balls they have been tremendously poor relative to what they had been earlier in the year defending that yep. and that's got to be tight because I don't know that this team, there was some stat uh, with Pat Noonan, that this team is 17-0-4, I think, when they score first, the FC Cincinnati is. I wouldn't want to be coming from behind yeah. in a game against Philadelphia with as as technically disciplined as they are with players missing for FC Cincinnati. I think that that will be a recipe for disaster if they are trying to stretch the field to score with being thin on the back line. And Philly is going to shoot from distance. Yes. They're going to, they're going to do it plenty of times. Why wouldn't you with what Cincinnati's put on film? And Philly's also going to play those kind of very speculative balls, just like into the box quite a bit and try to create things picking around. I mean, they, um, last year in the playoffs, they scored a chaos goal 
mm-hmm. where a ball just landed in front of a guy who had not scored all season. Yeah. Um, in Philadelphia, uh, they got a, they, um, they scored a penalty against us and they scored that, uh, uh, Jose Martinez, just long ball kind of bouncing out of the box. He just runs up and smacks it from distance and it goes in. Um, so like that is how they're going to be looking to score. Yep. And yeah. it's going to require the midfield closing down on that stuff. Um, one, uh, one thing to keep an eye on for me here. Uh, one of you mentioned it, the Ray Gaddis goal in training. Ray Gaddis is a sort of like Philly club legend, much in the same way we revere our Friar Tuck here in Cincinnati. However, never scored a goal for Philadelphia or for Cincinnati for that matter. Would be a hell of a game to have Ray he has Gaddis. To un- he has to untuck the shirt if he does it, right? Oh, please. That would like be- forever. He has to leave the shirt untucked now. <laughs> it would just be the greatest celebration of just him untucking his shirt. <laughs> oh, so satisfying. Uh, that's what I'm rooting for. Well, it's time for predictions here. So, Chief, I go to you first. How will the oh wait before we get to that uh one second because the format of the tournament has changed 19 different times and there was a leagues cup tournament and all this stuff just as a reminder you play 90 minutes if it's still tied there are two 15 minute halves of extra time and then it would go to penalties so it is not penalties immediately after 90 Thank minutes. God. <laughs> I I don't mind that version of it but with that in mind now, Chief, now I will ask you for your predictions again. I'm going to say 2-2 with FCC advancing on penalties. Oh, that sounds awful to say. Hey, you're really banking on, on Andre Blake being injured, huh? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know why. Uh, Blake did did uh, get some medical attention in Canada's game tonight, but it, he did. He also he also finished the game. So it looks maybe like he'll he's be probably held, fine. Maybe he'll be held at the border. <laughs> um, I'll go. I'll go 3-2 to the FC. Ooh. I'd like that a lot better. Kevin? Uh, Ray Gattis scores in the first five minutes and FCC wins one to nothing. Oh, my God. No, you, you can't. That's even worse than PKs is defending 85 minutes plus stoppage. That, that would game, be. There were, people would be setting fires. Like, just thinking about the type of game that would then be played for the I ensuing know. 85 minutes. People would be setting fires around the stadium. It would just be the worst thing to experience. This is the one nothing team. You know, people guys. hyperventilating into paper bags being passed out. Jesus. That's a that is a truly sick. <laughs> way to predict a game right there. I don't I don't hate I don't like dislike Philly as a team at all, frankly. Right. Um, uh but um they got a little bit of that Red Bull. They have in a them. lot of that Red Bull in them. They just also, also can play soccer. Yeah. Yeah. And Jim Curtin looks like a shitty youth pastor with the way he dresses. Yeah. But but like these these are two teams that will Push we'll buttons. make it ugly. Yeah. We'll push buttons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're both they're both two teams that w- that will play. 
Yeah. So it's it's should be should be a good game. It should be. I'm confident that our son will do something that will make me very happy and something that will make me very upset at some point during this game. People are going to call for him to be arrested too after after. <laughs> oh my after god! If we had, if we had to defend for ninety five fucking minutes, like <laughs> they might have to put him in witness protection for the stuff he would do to keep that lead. You've never seen time wasting the way Scarra <laughs> would kill off eighty five minutes. <laughs> the slowest wolf imaginable. Inside inside Yerson, there are two wolves, and both of them are writhing on the ground in pain for the entirety of this game. <laughs> They're both giant assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Well, well, I, I'll tell you what, I, if that doesn't happen, that will be what I'm truly thankful for this weekend. <laughs> this is not a one nothing. Oh, I mean, you, know, you know what? No, I yes. If that happens, I will be thankful. I'm going to amend what I'm saying. Any any yeah. outcome that wins the game for FC Cincinnati will make me thankful. I don't care useful. how useful result. Um, well, there we go. Elsewhere in the league, there are other playoff games, but who cares? We'll get who to cares? them when we get to them. So with that in mind. Gentlemen, I'm just, I'm thankful. I am truly, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for all 12 of the listeners. Um, I had a delicious meal at the Empanadas box last oh. weekend. I'm thankful for them as well. Yes. Thankful for the Cincy shirts. Thankful for the uh, the friendships we've made so far this year. Uh, two years of the postcast. Who would have thought? What I'm most thankful for, more than anything else, though, and I mean this from the genuine bottom of my heart, is fuck Columbus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content, as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter, and as well, you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us, wherever you are getting your podcasts, that is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this, pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.